Adam Steinberg is head men's tennis coach at the University of Florida with an incredible winning percentage above 700 in 32 seasons as a head coach at four different Division I programs like Alabama, Pepperdine, and Michigan. Adam has guided his teams to 21 NCAA tournament appearances, including four quarterfinal appearances, and brought Pepperdine their first and only men's tennis national championship in 2006. A former student athlete at Penn State and a native New Yorker like myself, Adam Steinberg, welcome to Down 40 Love. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It's so good to see you. I want to lead off with um, how you got started in a tennis and your New York background, just as a junior player in the in the ETA. Oh, wow. What a story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started uh, out in Long, out in eastern Long Island, Stony Brook area. Um, I actually bring up a name, uh, Greg Van Emberg and I, we Grew up in the same club, same coach uh, when we were super young. And I played because of my older brother. He was six years older, he was 14. He was a pretty good player. And you do what your older brother does. You try to uh, copy everything he does. So he's the one that's really responsible for my love of tennis and, and interest for sure. He, he um, still to this day. So I, I owe him a, a lot of credit. Um, that's for sure. Him and my dad for really uh, getting me into the game. Did you grow up in Stony Brook? I did. I grew up in, well, right near South Setauket, uh, the okay. town was called. And um, yep, that's uh, where I grew up uh, pretty much my whole childhood. We moved from Brooklyn out to there when I was four and uh, lived there through high school. When did you pick up a racket? Uh, when I was eight. Okay. Uh, my brother was 14, so I started when I was eight years old and loved it from the first minute. That's the truth. And just out of curiosity, so what club were you at out there in that area? Yeah, back then it was called, it's been through a lot of different names. It was the Brookhaven Racket Club. Okay. Yeah, I've heard so of it. So it was like, yeah, it turned into Shet Messing. They have a million. Uh, it turned over many times, but that was kind of the place out there where all of us played. Um, when I got older, I ended up going to Port Washington and doing some other things. But at a young age, that's where I grew up playing at Brookhaven Racquet Club. Uh, would love to go back there one day and see if, see if who's there. That'd be fun. I trained at Port Washington as well. I'm not sure if, if you're yep. aware of that. Um, what were some of the lessons you learned as a junior competitor that you brought to your <clears throat> college coaching career? Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that from junior tennis. I I think a couple of things. One, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the most talent, that's for sure, you know, I at all. And I just, you know, I can say this, I think everyone would say this, I, you know, I gave a thousand percent every time on the court in practice and... You know, I always competed really well. And I think that's, to me, that's paramount in collegiate tennis and collegiate sports is just learning how to compete, learning how to compete for each other. I think going to Port Washington my senior year of high school really helped. And almost every kid in the ETA was practicing there. We kind of were like a team almost. 
Um, I think I learned a lot of lessons there about um, just, you know, just being unselfish and giving of yourself and, and practicing with others, you know, and, and creating an environment, kind of a team environment we had there almost. I mean, everyone was obviously trying to get better, but it, definitely we had a lot of pride that we were from the ETA and, and you know, when we went out nationally, we were going to do really great things and um, and we all pushed each other. It was really cool. Um, I wasn't there that long for a short time, but in that short time, it, 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 I think it taught me a lot looking back. Do you remember the cookies at Port Washington? Man, I remember the cookies for sure. <laughs> I was just talking about them with someone the other day. Yes. Really? And the juice, the juices and the cookies. Yep. <laughs> Everybody remembers that. It was unbelievable. I mean, they knew yeah. they were really, they knew what business they were in, you know, they I mean, did. Was, they did. unbelievable customer service at Port Washington, Tennessee. Yeah, it was great. Um, and my dad occasionally would take me, there was a Benihana in Port Washington as well. And we would hit that up like, Oh yeah. That's like awesome. right after uh, my family. We love that. Oh God. Uh, amazing. Um, who were two or three of your early mentors you know, growing up and what were some of the lessons that, you know, you've been able to take with you? Yeah, I think my, like I mentioned, my older brother has been my number one mentor in my life and through everything. Um, that's for sure. My, obviously my parents were extremely involved in, in, in all phases. My dad passed away at a, at a young age, but my older brother, um, kind of grabbed the mantle, so to speak, and became dad, older brother, friend, coach, everything, and really taught me about work ethic and what team means and just the game. And we still, to this day, he's very involved, um, which is great. Uh, and, and if I had to point to someone else that had a big impact in my life, for sure, it's Paul Torricelli at Northwestern. Um, early on in my career, I was his assistant coach for a couple of years. And uh, Paul taught me so much about just life coaching, um, just so many important things that I that I really use today. We still he's like a second dad to me. We still in touch, that's for sure. And um, but I think, you know, those two people had a big impact in my life still do. What's your brother's name? Mitch. And what's Mitch yeah? He's gonna name? get a. He's gonna get. A, he's gonna love hearing this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's getting awesome. a lot of airtime. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Steinberg getting some play. Yeah. Well, where is he now, and what is he doing? Yeah, he um he lives in Atlanta. Okay. Um, he's not in tennis. Um, but he um not coaching tennis, but he is. Captain of his Alta team, if you know Atlanta, the, the league's there, and he's big time. And um, he calls me on the weekends and tells me how his matches went after I tell him how ours went. So we, um, but he he loves it. He still loves competing. He loves playing. And Atlanta's an unbelievable tennis town. So he's oh. he's really enjoying it. And you guys are closer now, now that you're in Gainesville. So that's a plus. Yeah, which is great. You know, we, we got to spend Thanksgiving together with his family and we, we drove over my, we love that. So that was, you know, um, when we took this job, we, you know, that was, a, that was a big factor being closer to family. So 
we haven't had Thanksgiving together in a long time. So it was really nice uh, with his kids and grandkids and all of us. So it was really fun. What's one lesson you, you took from Paul? You know, something practical that we can put into play today. Yeah, I think with Paul, there were a lot of lessons. <laughs> he um, he was amazing just with team dynamics and really listening to the players. I think that's one lesson I, I probably took from him that it's it's not one size fits all. It's to really understand that everybody's different and you have to treat them, you know, a, a different way um, to reach them. But I think Paul taught me to get to know the players off the court before you can help them on the court. I think that was, that was a big factor. I know his relationships with his players I'm, is pretty incredible for all his years that he was in. And he, and he, you know, he also, I was a crazy New Yorker when I came to him and he, he really taught me, uh, you know, think before you act to be calm in certain moments, which I wasn't at that time at all. And, I'm sure I've been guilty of that later on in my career too, but he, he always was steady. And I always um, marveled at that about no matter what the situation, Paul was calm and he, and it really helped the team so much because when they saw that steady leadership um, and that's something that after losses, especially that I learned from him, that to really know that you're the leader that you have to, they're always looking to you to, see your reaction to things and i think he helped me a lot with that yeah i mean it, it sounds like you're really fortunate to connect with someone whose personality and style was different than yours you know i mean yes. i had the, the same experience you know in working with coaches like greg Patton and a guy named mike edless who no one's ever really heard of this guy mike edless but he was a tremendous coach at the d2 level then went to boise state with their women's program and did unbelievable. And he was the most unassuming guy, like just so quiet. And I had Edless who was, you know, super calm and everybody knows that Greg is a maniac. Yeah. So, you know, so you're looking at these two personalities and it's an incredible learning experience. Um, and it's funny how, you know, for us New Yorkers, passion is such a double-edged sword, huh? <laughs> yeah. But yes. until we, once we learn how to channel it in a positive way, I think it's it really gives you a competitive edge, you know, especially when you're building culture. Um, if we can For build sure. on your on your point on the importance of listening, you know, as a leadership skill, can you expand a little bit more and maybe share what your leadership philosophy is and a couple of things that really drive you? Yeah, I think it's evolved for sure. I mean, 20 years ago, for example, you know, on a changeover in a match, it was, hey, we're doing this right now. And there wasn't really <laughs> much discussion. Um, and I I think I'd be, I think my players would agree with that. I would hope <laughs> um, that just asking questions more and, and just getting to know the players, even in times of battle on the court just listening to them and and you know because just to get a real understanding of where they are where their head is instead of just saying hey we're doing this and that's it and then there's is I don't think you're really reaching a player that way um I look back 20 like I said years ago and I wish I would have done it differently than I am now to be honest and I I think 
Um, there are times for sure you got to get on a player. You got to really let them know where you stand and hold the standards. That's for sure. And, and I still will do that. But the listening part um, has evolved over the years where even in the middle, specifically in the middle of a practice, if I don't like the way things are going, like now I'll bring guys in, ask them questions, you know, different things. Not all the time, but <laughs> but I, I try. That's definitely been a change um, over the years. And, and I think it's been a helpful change for sure um, in getting the most out of, out of these young guys. You know, you remind me of, of one of my favorite quotes, which says it's it's greater to be trusted than to yeah. be loved. And listening builds trust. And there's nothing more empowering for anybody than for you to express your belief in them, you know, by, you know, figuring out what drives them, what makes them tick. You know, I think I think caring is the ultimate competitive advantage, you know, and 100 percent. Yeah. And, and you can only do that through mastering communication and being open and listening and, and, and coming at leadership from a humble place. And you know, me, that hasn't always been my strength and it probably still isn't to a certain extent. It, it's fun to have a little swag, right? That's just the New Yorker, you know, inside of us. But, you know, when you talk about truly motivating a team and building a culture, I feel like the more we can empower players to take ownership of the vision, to take ownership of their own goals and to take ownership of what yeah. they want to achieve as a team. I mean, you can build something special every single day by taking that, that approach. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, when you empower, when you empower them and like you said, when they, when they take responsibility for their own tennis, for their, for their own goals, then it, it it's, um, that's when it really works. And when, when a team does it as well, where you're empowering not just individual players, but you empower the team to really um, take the philosophy that we've all agreed upon, that this is the way we want to be, this is who we are. Um, when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And it, and it, really, it, it really makes it, it, makes it go. Um, all the best teams I've ever coached are the ones that, that have done that. So, so one of the many things I admire about you, Adam, is your success over time. I mean, longevity. I mean, when I think about you, I think about the word relevance. You found a way to stay relevant. I mean, it's crazy over 30 seasons, which that's insane. That means you started coaching when you were like 15. You know, we have to talk about that. That's a, that's a different podcast, man. Yeah. You know, but can you share with us, I, I think a little bit about your approach to maybe work-life balance, like what's the key for you? Um, what have you done to just stay so consistently successful over time? Wow. Big question. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to try and give you the, the best answer I can give. First of all, I'm beyond appreciative uh, for being able to do this all these years. Still love it. Um, I think the success I've had um, goes back to a couple different things. Um, my passion has never, you know, changed for college tennis, for collegiate sports, for 
helping young people become better, not just tennis players, but better people that that passion, that energy that I have every day, I feel is hasn't changed from 30 years ago. I still, you know, like in the summers, I can't wait for the season to start. Like right now we're in our off season and I'm dying and I can't <laughs> wait to, to get going in January. And I, you know, when that goes away, um, I'll probably go away, but it hasn't. And I think when you're doing something this long, if you still have that energy and the players feel it and they feel your enthusiasm for the university, for them, for their families, for everything that goes into this. Um, I think that's how you remain consistent with success, to be honest. And I've been really fortunate to recruit so many great human beings besides tennis players. And, you know, those guys um, for sure have lengthened my career. Some try to shorten it, but... <laughs> But overall, the, uh, you know, without a doubt, you know, it's overwhelming the, the the great people that I've been able to coach. And you asked about work-life balance. My family, I couldn't do this without. That's for sure. My my wife is. Um, it's hard to put in the words. If you want to coach his wife, I. I have one who really understands the job and understands the travel and the pressures and just the time. Um, and she's unbelievable um, in support of me. Trust me, I've moved her around the country, as you know, and she's, she still hangs in there with me. And, you know, you go home. I talked to this about my, with my assistant not long ago here in Florida, just that when we go home, we have to be present. We have to find that balance. And this is for every young coach to you know, if you're married and not married, you have to find life outside of the job. When I first got into, I remember when I was at Alabama, I didn't have that at all. I had no balance whatsoever. Every 100% it was about the job. The wins and losses were just so accentuated. It was just, it wasn't a way, it wasn't a healthy way to, to you know, go through a career. And you just evolve, you learn. And my family has helped me so much with that, for sure. That's without a doubt. I love hearing that, Adam. You know, we're talking about Alabama. I mean, seriously, what else were you going to do in Birmingham? I, mean, <laughs> I love Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, Birmingham is awesome. They got a they yeah. have a great a great zoo. Uh, <laughs> they do a great zoo. Um, Adam, what does down forty love mean to you? Uh, well, good question. Um, we actually talk about that a lot with the team. Uh, I guess you can take it on the court and in life. I guess if I go that deep with it, I think down 40 love, you know, you're obviously facing adversity. You're, you know, for me, when I think about down 40 love, I don't think about losing though. To me, I think 40 down 40 love is an opportunity to show your character and to fight back. That's people are down 40 love in their lives. I've been, everybody has been at some point or another. Um, on the court, off the court. And I think um, one of the things that I've always thought, even in now, when I go to tennis specifically now with the no ad, it's even more so that it's not a mountain anymore. It's kind of just a hill that you have to climb. And I've always believed down 40 love. Um, if I think, if I really think this through, it's about the small victories to get back um 
and and win the game in the end or win in life. It's not. I don't think you should look at it as like, oh, I got to get it all back at once. But if I can use the analogy on the court, I always tell the guys when they're down 40, love two points. That's all you have to get here is two points. We're not. It's not a mountain. It's a small hill we have to climb. And then we get to 30, 40. And now you've had those small victories, if that makes sense. And then all of a sudden you're you're putting your opponent back on, you know, now they're feeling, oh, wow, I was up 40 love. Now I, I you know, it's, it's um, I'm almost at deuce here and the pressure goes back on them. And I think in life, if I have to take it away from the court, I think down 40 love, you're facing adversity, but, you know, and, but to get back on track, I think it takes those small victories, just like I was discussing on the court, not just, I'm not just going to get it all back at once, but I'm going to to really find my way through those small victories to get back on track. So I know it's a long answer, sorry, <laughs> but it's uh, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, no, I love your answer and I really appreciate it. And I think it's it's an important point for people who, and I can raise my hand to this, um, are more weighted on vision versus execution. You know, I mean, for big thinkers, you know, it's one thing to have big goals, big dreams, you know, want to do amazing things. But at the end of the day, you've got to re-engineer, you know, those steps, you know, and yeah. take things one step at a time and play one point at a time. You can only play one point at a time. So I love the, you know, sort of that, that incremental play-by-play approach, you know, as you related to down 40 love, Adam, how do you overcome adversity? You know, if you're comfortable, maybe you can share a personal story or two, but what are your strategies for overcoming obstacles and adversity? Yeah. Um, been through a lot, uh, adversity we all have. And I, you know, I, I've always coached, um, to overcome adversity together. Um, you know, for me, it's it's always been my family and the team and just um, using other people to help me. Um, I think that's something I've tried to really coach and teach through my career that when you're going through, you know, adversity, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, be there for your teammates because they're going to be there for you and, and you know, they're going to help you get through it just like one day you're going to help them. And that's always been something that is in my DNA um, that we overcome things together. Um, and like we just talked about it, it it's not going to all happen in one day. But um you know, when you see the bigger picture of things and you you know how much you overcoming adversity is not only going to help you, but help others, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, and, and like I said, I, you know, I've had a lot of adversity in my life with losing a dad at an early age and just different things that have gone on, like we all have gone through. Um, but in the end... Um, you know, the, the, the positive outlook, optimism, which is what I talk about with my team a lot. 
Uh, my assistant coaches, we, we talk about that with the guys, being optimistic and, and carrying yourself in a positive way really helps you get through those times for sure. And on the court, off the court, you know, those those seconds you have in between points, you're going to face adversity, bad line calls, crowds, whatever it is, you're not playing well, but um, but we're going to, but understanding that you're not only helping yourself when you try to overcome it, you're helping a lot of other people along the way as well. An inspirational example. Uh, how old were you when your father passed? I was 24. Um, and I just got the job at St. John's. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a tough time for sure. He, he died at an early age. So. See, so you were right. You were there. You weren't that far away from home, which. I, wa I was, no, I was in Queens. Yeah. Um, I was living there. Uh, my dad was out in uh, Eastern Long Island, so I wasn't far. Thank God I was there close enough. Adam, do you think about the legacy you want to leave? And if you do, what is that legacy? Yeah, I don't think about that too often. <laughs> um, I do, I read about, um, and I always, I, I listen to a lot of things where uh Coaches talk about that, and and I always love hearing their side to things. Legacy, whew. um, you know, I remember this basketball coach was I, I heard a few years ago on the radio. Um, I forget what school it was even, and they asked him how your team was going to be that year. You may have heard this, and he said, "Uh, his answer was, I'll tell you in twenty years," and um, and I think what he was trying to say, and for me. Obviously, you're, you're so proud of all the, the victories and national championships and all that, and, and you're really proud of, of all those accomplishments. But for me, it's, for example, we just, we just had a reunion with our 06 national championship team last week, and I, I saw some guys I hadn't seen in years, and now they're like 40 years old, and they have families, and they have kids, and they're, so, and they're really successful, and they're doing so well. I, I came home, I was telling my wife, that's why I coach. That's why I do this for those moments. And it was just the other day, I, this is, we had it, you know, the reunion the other day. So that question hits home um, because um, it really meant a lot to me. And I realized of why I do what I do. Um, so for me, that's my legacy to see, you know, what these guys are doing now and, 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 how, you know, that they become better, that they become parents and better brothers and better sons and, and just better people overall. That's, that's the most important. It may sound cheesy, but it's, but it's the truth. It is the truth. And, you know, part of your legacy is not worrying about legacy because you're so focused yeah. and so passionate about what you're doing. I mean, you remind me of Don Shula, who was one of my favorite NFL coaches, who, the compliment. <laughs> I mean, he is amazing. I mean, he achieved perfection and he believed that if you don't strive for perfection, you could never reach excellence. Um, and I adopted his coaching philosophy very early in my career and then over time made it my own. And it served me pretty well. I mean, I, I love this guy, but he was so into doing what he was doing. He was coaching football. He really believed in being in the trenches day after day. He wasn't thinking about legacy. He wasn't thinking about writing a book. Hey, there's nothing wrong with writing books. I write them, yeah. you know, but he 
just loved what he did and he invested all of his time, his energy and his passion for football into the players. You yeah, know, that's it was great. All just all about them. Um you alluded to um younger coaches on the come up earlier in our conversation. Yeah. Do you have any pieces of advice, you know, just for sort of the next generation of leaders before uh, we peace out this podcast today? Yeah, I talk to a lot of young coaches all the time. It's, um, you know, they have the ITA has a mentoring program that I was involved with last year that I really got so much out of and I loved. And it's, um, you know, I we touched on it. One area that I think for young coaches coming up is that life balance. I think that's really, really important. Um, if you have a family, don't have a family yet, just to, you know, there has to be other things in your life outside of, of the job when you go home and, and have different interests and or whatever it is um, that interests you. I think that's really important because I, like I said, I look back and I didn't have it early on and it really, it really hurt me. And I think it, I wasn't, the coach that I needed to be to those players because of it. Um, so I think that that balance, I'm um, in just under and just being humble and understanding that the job is about the players and it's not about you and your ego. I think um, that's something that, that I think I've done pretty well with to, to understanding that what my job really is, is to help, these young people become better people, better tenants, players, better students. And, um, and if you, if you stay with that, uh, you know, and you never lose your enthusiasm and love for what you do, because the players feel that they, they want to be around enthusiastic people that, that, you know, really take a, an interest in them on and off the court. So I know that's a lot, but um, I I really enjoy talking to the young coaches. I'm an old man now, so um, <laughs> I, I really love that part of the job, actually, because a lot of people were there for me along the way. So you got to give back. Well, your passion is ageless. You look amazing. <laughs> I, I, think I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I think you've taken you know, the scruffy hair, the you know, this, all this. Yeah, we do. We do what we can do. Right. We, we right. Do, we do. What we can do. But the Florida weather looks like it's really treating you well. I couldn't be more happy for you and for your family. I couldn't be more proud of the career that you continue to build on a day by day basis. It's been incredible. I'm so happy for you. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this. And um, let's connect again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. I know we've had a tough time getting this on the schedule. I'm glad we did it. <laughs> and I really appreciate all your kind words. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. You're the best, Adam. Okay.